As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I hope anybody's not stupid enough to write this off. Hello and welcome to Two Stars, the Nottingham Forest podcast from The Athletic. On this, our first episode of the new year, we'll look back on a fruitful festive Forest fixture list, answer your questions, look ahead to the start of the Reds' latest underwhelming FA Cup campaign, and we will of course ask, did they really play for Forest? Available for free wherever you get your pods and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Two Stars. Hi listener, it's me, Matt Davis-Adams, back after our winter break, revitalised, refreshed and with renewed hope that 2021 will be better for the two-time European champions than 2020 was. Uh, on board today, we have the Athletics Forest correspondent, Paul Taylor. Uh, Paul, did you Christmas well? I very much did. I think my waistline would testify to that very evidently. <laughs> Good job, we can't see it then. Uh, joining <laughs> Paul, also from the Athletic, lifelong Forest fan, tip-top writer and broadcaster, the phenom, Nick Miller. Uh, Nick, did you get any Forest-related Christmas gifts? The phenom. You can tell you're a wrestling fan, can't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, did I get any forest-related gifts? Uh, I very much did. Well, I get I get a forest mug every year from uh, from my mum, which uh, this year is a nice kind of panoramic shot of the city ground. That was lovely. Um, I got a forest mask, obviously. Um, <laughs> you know, strange times and all that. And I also got. Um, I think I've show shared. Uh, we we've both appreciated this before, Matt. It's a, a, a t-shirt in the sort of style of the Run DMC logo, you know, the, with the kind of the, oh, the yes, three letters and the three letters with the two red bars, and instead of Run DMC, obviously says Clough, um, which is just the, the the loveliest thing. It sort of feels like the sort of thing I'd be uh, I'd find absolutely hilarious when I was fourteen, but I, <laughs> um, you know, delighted to report that at age thirty seven, I still find it excellent. <laughs> That's better than my haul. I got uh, from my youngest sister a tube map, but with forest information in place of the stops. But I think it was a knockoff one because it has uh, lots of information on Willie Arden rather than Wally. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So close. Yeah. So close. But I appreciated it anyway. Do you think this was a purchase made before you moved out of London? 
Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, even less relevancy here in the rural East Midlands. But still, very grateful for the gift. Pleased to have received it. Um, before we get started, we've had a fun question from, from Robbie via Twitter who asks, what's the best and worst individual performance from one specific match you've seen by a Forest player in your time covering slash supporting the club? Um, I'll get Nick and Paul shortly, but, but here's some that listeners have suggested. Mike says, best any or all of Stan Collymore's spell. I remember two brilliant goals away at West Brom, 93-94. I think that was a Sunday game that was on telly. Uh, His comeback from injury against Bolton when he scored and then was sent off was memorable too. Uh, Carl, maybe recency biased, but Brereton versus Arsenal in 2018. Basically retired World Cup winning international centurion Mertesaka. Producer Adonis enjoyed that one. Uh, Sam offers worse, bong against Charlton. Not even sure if the performance was that bad, but the subsequent disappearing act made it seem much worse. He says, best, Carvalho versus Middlesbrough, because given the last 24 hours, we really need to talk about another divisive figure, <laughs> political. Uh, Simon says, at big norms against Augsair at the city ground, simply outstanding display that almost single-handedly got us through to the next round. And Mark Crosley has liked that tweet, which I think is very <laughs> sweet. Uh, finally, Tom simply says, Terry Wilson at Boundary Park. If you were there, you know. Uh, Paul, what can you add into that mix? Do you know the best one? It, it really stood out. That the worst one was the difficult one, but the, the best one has got to be Gareth McCleary at Leeds. Uh, yeah. f- four goals in a seven-three win. It doesn't get much better than that. And and they were all belters as well. Well, three three of them at least were. I think one of them was a tap-in, but the, but at least two of them were absolute raspers, like angled volleys, uh, you know, driven finishes in off the bar. It, it, it had everything that performance. It was a fantastic team performance at Ellen Road, and, and something I'll, I'll always remember for various reasons. But uh, his his performance in it stood out. He was just on fire that day, and uh, I think that was his last season at the club, which was a bit of a shame. But it was uh, nice to see him back with 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 Wickham. But it, it also prompted my favourite managerial reaction I've I've ever had from a manager when he'd finished his interview, Steve Cottrell. And I'm not sure whether he'll cut this out or not, but his actual reaction was. I don't know about you, boys, but I'm going home for a bloody great wank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is classic Cottrell. Not <laughs> sure what's more offensive there, the the uh, the, um, the blue language or the accent. <laughs> the accent was ropey, definitely. <laughs> uh, so that's the best. Is there a worst that springs to mind? Kyle Basilio, and I feel a bit bad picking him out because I know he later had, uh, I think, he had Gillan Bear syndrome or some some unfortunate nerve-related issue, and I'm not sure if it was a factor at the time, but I remember him coming on as a substitute at QPR in, in about the 50th minute, and then getting taken off again less than 20 minutes later. Uh, it, he was he was so bad, uh, but also. <laughs> a mention for both Julian Bennett and Luke Chambers at Wolves one year when when they had. Kitely and, and, and Jarvis as their two wingers and they got absolutely destroyed. Every time they got the ball, they, they did something and made something happen and Forrest lost 5-1 and it was one of the worst Forrest performances all round I've seen but poor old Julian Bennett and, and Luke Chambers had an absolute nightmare that day. Uh, that, that that stood out in the memory as well. And any appearance by Jamal Abdoon, of course. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or Rafik Jabor. Uh, Nick, yes. can you can you add to that? Yeah, um, I, I mean, I had uh, a few of those Collymore performances in the first season, the West Brom. There was a, the, the, the other game against Bolton, not the one where he got sent off, but the, uh, I think it was an away game he scored. Mm. He scored a couple of goals. I think we lost that game, actually. But... Um, uh, but yeah, I've got I mean anything from him really. Um, Roy Keane in the '92 uh, League Cup semi-final against Tottenham. 
Um, I can still, I was there and I can. I was quite high up in the stand and I can swear I can still hear him uh, heading the ball into the net, uh, the, both the header and the ball hitting the net. Um, <laughs> it's you know, evocative. Um, I've got. I've also got um, Pierre van Hoydonk against, this is less a kind of whole game, more about 10 minutes. Pierre van Hoydonk against Birmingham in sort of late-ish on in the promotion season. In, I was uh, there at St Andrews, 97-98. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I was there as well. And I, uh, when he scored the second goal, I ran down to the, the fence at the start, climbed up on it and uh, celebrating there. And I can remember buying the season review video and pausing the video uh, so I could see my shoe. <laughs> Not, none, of, none of the rest of me, just I, had, I, was, I was wearing some quite distinctive trainers and uh, I, I saw my shoe in the uh, top left-hand corner of the screen. Something that... Um, David Marples, uh, I think who I think we all know, uh, mm. uh, writer, editor, uh, Bandy and Shinty, and various other Forest publications, reminded me of uh, Marlon Harewood, who scored uh, when he scored four goals against Stoke. Yes, I think about two thousand. Yeah, about two thousand two, something like that. Were they all in the first half as well? I think. Yeah, I think got they a were in the first half. I think they were. It's one of those games where, you know, the, 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 I mean, I'm sure all Forest fans or you know, or uh, people who cover Forest have done, did this at some point during Marlon's career, where they would nudge someone and go, "Unplayable on his day," you know, Marlon, absolutely <laughs> unplayable. And on that day, he was. Um, in terms of the worst, and, and this is quite, probably quite poor form to slag off a former guest on the um, uh, on two stars, but um, I'm reminded of David Prutton in the tw- 2007 playoff semi final mm. against Yeovil. He came on as a sub after about an hour, I think, sort of charged around like he was, you know, a child who'd had too much sugar for about half an hour and then got sent off for a, a, an absolutely abysmal foul that you could see coming from about 20 yards away. Yeah. Um, that, that made me quite cross. Uh, that, that, David, that was on my list as well. That was, yeah, that, yeah. What a night that was. But that just summed up the night, didn't it? it oh, was, I mean, uh, it, it, anything that could go wrong did go wrong. Mm. Um, David Platt against Sheffield United for similar reasons. <laughs> he, he also, I mean, obviously exacerbated because he was, you know, the manager at the time as well. Um, and I've got, I've also got Gary Jones written down. Um, who I kind of usually cite as one of the worst players I've ever seen play for Forest. I confess I can't remember the exact game, but I knew it, knew it was quite a grim home defeat. Um, so looking at the fixtures, I've narrowed, I think I've narrowed it down to a 3-1 defeat to Huddersfield in December 2000. Um, that was abysmal. And uh, then um, finally, uh, pretty much any game that Dear Carby played last season. <laughs> uh, yeah, on on the Gary Jones front, sort of related note. Again, I can't remember the game, but I remember it was around it was around that kind of time. Uh, a, a, a during a particularly rubbish Forest performance, a box, an empty box of crisps that had obviously come from catering or whatever, blew across the pitch, and somebody behind me in the Trent end just shouted, "Put fucking Danny Sonner in it!" And I thought, yeah, <laughs> that might be an improvement. He was quite rubbish. Um, in terms of good ones, I'll also chuck. Chuck in Julian Bennett against Yo. Uh, was it against Yeovil? Yes, of course. Against yeah. Yeovil, yeah. the good time. Um, it, mainly the goal, you know, when he just kind of loses it first time, then picks it up and just insists that the ball is going in the net. Um, I really, really like that. But yeah, Colin Moore, I think, is the answer, isn't it? Any Colin Moore, 93, 94. Uh, that was a really good question. Thank you very much uh, for that, Robbie. We'll move on now. Let's talk about what happened whilst we were away.
So, when we last met, the Reds were embarking on the traditional festive fixture slog. Guess what? They only went unbeaten throughout all four of those games. Draws at Millwall, at home to Birmingham and at Stoke were followed by a win at Preston the weekend just passed. Um, if they'd drawn those three and lost at Preston, obviously we'd be all going, oh no, four without a win, this is not going well. Instead, it's unbeaten in five. They haven't managed more than the goal in any of those games, but they haven't conceded many either. Um, Paul, in the aftermath of the, the Preston game, you wrote about the importance of, of Forrest scoring the first goal in yeah. a game. They've hardly <laughs> ever done it, basically. Yeah, only four or five times this season and every time they've done it, they've won, uh, which tells you a significant story. I think that probably as much of a reflection on how few goals Forest score uh, overall. I think there's only two teams that have scored fewer than them all, all season. Derby are one of them. I think Wickham are the other. Uh, it, it it has undermined their their season completely, but it, it is an odd one because they've created a heck of a lot of chances, and uh, you know that that's the that's the kind of one ray of light that you've always had is that you can find a bit of optimism and hope in the fact that they are missing opportunities. It's not that they're not creating chances. Stoke being the case in point where they probably should have won the game. They had two or three really good chances to win it in the second half, and their luck probably balanced out at, at Preston where the home side hit the bar twice and had a couple of good opportunities themselves to 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 get something from the game and you know maybe maybe luck just for once was on was on Forest side so we'll we'll take that and and move on to the next one as we would say in cliche terms Chris Hewton said to you Paul about about how he always wants his team to start on the front foot is that just the kind of thing that managers say? I mean, it just seems so <laughs> obvious, doesn't it? It's like saying, I'd really like us to win the game. Well, yeah. I mean, I tried to push him on that and say, like, you know, how, how do you start the game well? Uh, which I guess is a really tough question to answer because, you know, it, it depends on players starting the match with urgency, with confidence and belief. And and the last two of those things have, have probably, if we're entirely honest, been in short supply in recent weeks. You know, even during this unbeaten run that will have been a few doubts in, in, in the minds of Forest players, given the league position they're in and and, and the fact they have made such a poor start to the season. But they, they did come out the blocks quicker in the last couple of games and, and it has made a difference. I think once you, you get a sense that you've perhaps got a foothold in the game, that you're in the game and, and you're competitive and, and that you've got the match of the opposition to some level, it, it's got to help your mentality a little bit. But, but just getting a, a goal as they did against Sheffield Wednesday, I think last time they did it, they got an early goal. I think just going out and getting a goal in the first 10 or 15 minutes would make a massive difference to Forrest and just just get them on their way a little bit because they are underperforming. They're, they've got, a, I'm not saying that they should be in the top six or challenging for automatic promotion by any means, that's nonsense, but they should be further up the table than they are with, with the quality of player they've got. Well, while we're talking about Chris Hewton, Gareth tweeted the show. He says, it'd be good to hear your reflections on Hewton's first half season at Brighton to give us optimism that Forrest are on a, a similar trajectory. Nick, you've been running some numbers on this. Yeah, so I've looked at um, Hewton's first... He's, he's had 19 games uh, Forrest. I've looked at his first 19 games in his previous jobs. Um, I've kind of discounted Newcastle because it was, it's such, a, it was such a mess there and... Um, uh, and it obviously it was so long ago that it's sort of not really enormously relevant. But um, but Birmingham, it, I mean, the, the kind of general um, the general conclusion is all quite similar. So Birmingham, uh, uh, he won eight, lost six, and drew five. That should that will come with the caveat that they were that they Birmingham had just been relegated from the Premier League, but they were in Europe. So he had to because uh, they just obviously they just won the League Cup and they beat Arsenal in the final. Um, so he had a load of Europa League qualifying games and um, 
uh, and group games as well. Um, so that, that I mean, they made quite a decent start there, and then then after that, they kind of continued. They finished fourth in the championship, but then lost in the playoffs to Blackpool, which um, there's a sentence that's going to give most of us. Uh, PTSD, I think. Um, then at Norwich, uh, again quite similar. One six, lost six, drew seven. Uh, this is again was, this was in the Premier League. Um, they'd finished twelfth the previous season under Paul Lambert, then finished eleventh under Hutton. Um, but uh, it all went a little bit wrong after that. Uh, they only won four of the remaining nineteen games. Terrible the following season, and he was sacked um, in the April, I think, of the following season. Um, and then Brighton, which I suppose is the most relevant one because um the the situations were sort of broadly similar took over a a, a team struggling towards the bottom end of the championship who thought they should probably be doing better um they were 21st when he took over um finished the season in 20th so theoretically not a particularly um you know big leap there but again they they won six lost eight drew six and then uh, after that um uh, that that sort of took them Towards kind of more or less the end of the season, um, and then the start of the next season, they start they they were um, absolutely superb. They only lost twice before Christmas, only lost uh, out on automatic promotion goal difference to um, Eintracht Frankfurt Middlesbrough that season, and then they lost in the playoffs to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and yes, yeah, so, so all it's all sort of a, a quite similar pattern to Forest, where this this nineteen games, these won five, lost seven, and and. Uh, drawn seven as well, so I mean, if you, uh, I'm not uh, never sure how kind of relevant this kind of thing is, but if you go on the Brighton example, it's it's a kind of um, a, a period of half a season or so of consolidation and then sort of um, kicked on and Im- improved greatly. Well, that's a reason to be optimistic. I think another one, Paul, is maybe that he seems to be. Settling on his on his preferred eleven, you know, we unchanged from Stoke to Preston, just one change from from Birmingham to Stoke before that. It, it looks as though he's 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 found a settled team. Yeah, yeah, and I think the one thing that Chris Hutton often talks about is is the back four and having a consistent back four, and I think that's been evident in recent weeks as well. I think the the back four has been the same for the last three games with with Tobias Figueiredo coming back into the side, and I think we all thought. Well, I can't say I can't speak for everybody, but I thought Lloyd Kenby so was a bit unfortunate to lose his place in the side following a couple of pretty decent displays. But Figueredo, since he's come back in, has been very solid. He's got a good partnership with Joe Worrell. The two fullbacks are both playing reasonably well, certainly defensively, in in, in Yuri Ribeiro and, and Cyrus Christie. I think Cyrus Christie can very definitely improve on his crossing, as can Ribeiro, probably more so, in fact. But They've got this solid defensive unit with Sal and Yates in front of them as well. And I think that's probably what's made a real difference. It's given them a solid foundation. They've only conceded two goals in five games. And whilst there's plenty, plenty of room for them to improve at the other end of the pitch, I think once you've got a team that's confident that they're not going to concede many goals, you, you're kind of halfway there in a sense. You just need to improve at the other end of the pitch. And then and then hopefully you'll see Forrest continue to make progress at the table. Uh, but yeah, consistency in the back four in particular, I think, has made a real difference. There's relationships growing there, bonds growing there, and an understanding. And and whilst I wouldn't for a minute think that players like Scott McKenna and MB so aren't going to play again for the rest of the season, that I think for now it's it's a platform on which Forest can build. Certainly, certainly in the Championship, you might make a few changes against Cardiff in the FA Cup this weekend. But but beyond that, I, I expect you'll probably see the same back four. Uh, return to action when when league football resumes. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And actually, Nick, as Paul's written about uh, for The Athletic, some of those players who've been underperforming at the start of the season seem to be seem to be finding some form now. I'm thinking the likes of Samba, even Figueredo and Christie in particular. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose not, not, not being in the dressing room, you don't know the exact cause for that, but... Uh, obviously, what we've talked about before of the, the sort of awful hangover of, of last season, which obviously won't won't be quite as relevant for Christie because he wasn't here, but um, but the, because there was such a small gap between the two seasons, runs of form for players like like Figueredo and Samba will will have sort of moved through from season to season in a way that they they wouldn't usually when there was the, the you know the standard sort of three month gap between between seasons. So. I think that that kind of thing. I know. I know. We spoke about uh, Samba's form earlier on, uh, so previously on on the podcast. But that sort of thing is is kind of you know not inevitable, but it's it's the the sort of ebbs and flows of um, of form in uh, players in in the championship. It's kind of inevitable that those those players will improve, and you know we we know that particularly Samba and Figueiredo are very capable of uh, of being excellent championship players so uh, I, I suppose that kind of thing was to be expected uh, it is January of course which means we've got to do some transfer stuff is there any news on on Anthony Knockout Paul Preston could have been his last game yeah, it, it could be his last game yeah it's a simple situation and a complex situation at the same time in that Forrest wants to keep him or, or, or certainly Chris Hewton's very keen to keep him uh, Fulham want to move him out again somewhere uh, I think they're aim in the summer when they let him join Forest on loan was very much or their hope was very much that he would come to Forest absolutely smash it up between the start of the season and January he'd be part of a promotion challenging team and his his value or standing would 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 improve in the process and it it hasn't turned out that way for for anyone really has it he if we're entirely honest has shown flashes of what he can do without being brilliant on in any kind of sustained manner you, you can see that the he is a very good player he's got a track record of being a uh, a very good performer at this level and I, I still think he's very much got that in him but is there anybody out there that's going to pay the kind of money that, that Fulham did for him I think the answer for that in, in January is very much no I, the, the the talk is is that they spent around 12 12 million pounds for him to sign him which <laughs> which seems slightly excessive if we're honest and I don't for a minute think that Forrest would even be interested in entertaining any kind of permanent deal, certainly on that money. I think they'd want to keep him on loan if they can. Uh, but it all comes down to money. How, how much of his wages are Forrest willing to pay and how much of his wages the Fulham want to be paid? I think there's got a lot, there's got to be a very serious conversation about money. Uh, and there's added complexity to it as well. If if anybody else does come in for him who's willing to pay more, uh, 
it's down to Forest really. They've, they've got to put a price on what they're willing to pay for a player who's not exactly torn it up, but they'd be hopeful could play a key part in the second half of the season. But we'll we'll see how that one turns out. But I I wouldn't say it was completely cut and dried that he'll definitely stay. I think they're they're probably more hopeful than certain that he will. Difficult one, isn't it, Nick? Because if Forrest were even on the fringes of the playoffs, you'd think you definitely want to get him signed up because he could be the difference. But unless we're, we're thinking we are definitely in a relegation battle, if this second half of the season is going to drift, it might not be worth spending the money on him. No, I mean, absolutely not. I mean, he's not, as Paul said, he's kind of had flashes and he's sort of obviously kind of forced the goal against Stoke with that brilliant cross. But other than that, there haven't been too many kind of particularly decisive contributions and you, you know on form at the moment you could argue he's not even in the first choice team you, you know Amiobi's been been decent in recent weeks obviously Alex Mighton's come in and been brilliant Lolly's getting a little bit better so um to to spend anything like uh, well I mean spending as Paul said uh, spending any money is a bit dicey at the moment but spending anything like the kind of money that Fulham would want for a player that has been okay but not amazing and might not be in the, even in the first choice team would be absolute madness. Um, I, yeah, I think ideally it would be great if Forrest could keep him on loan for the rest of the season because he, he obviously is or, or has been a very good player um, uh, in and you know at, at Brighton and to a sort of lesser extent at, uh, at Fulham. Um, but any kind of permanent deal would be would be suicide at the moment. I think. Uh, in terms of other transfer news, here's a question from Andrew. He says, should we be worried about the revolving door of players who come and go without troubling the scorers on the appearance front? Without straying into legally dubious territory, are there non-footballing reasons for signing the likes of Taxidis, Ioannou and Guerrero? Um, well, the Athletic's vast team of lawyers would, I'm sure, like it to, <laughs> to keep this the, the right side of legal, Paul. But Ioannou and, and Guerrero both might be on the way out having only just come in. I don't think for a minute that there's any dodgy reasons behind the signings. I think there's a very big difference between just bad recruitment and, and anything else. And I, I think Forrest are very much on the right side of it, just being bad recruitment, really. Uh, or excessive recruitment is probably the right phrase. I, I think not all of them are bad players. There's just too many of them. They, they, they signed too many players in the summer and left themselves with a real problem. There, there will be players who probably do leave the club without having, uh, you know, troubled the team sheet very much, you know. Fuad Bashiru perhaps being a case in point. He's not included in the in the twenty five man squad at the minute. There's, there's there's only twenty four players on that list at the minute. There's there's space for one more, but I can't imagine that he's going to suddenly be included uh, in in the twenty five unless Forrest don't sign anybody in January. So he he might move on without ever playing a game. Then you know you've still got players like Clough and Heffler who are earning a wage without any, getting anywhere near the team. Tendai Rick was really unlucky at the minute because you know he's he's not really after a slightly slow start, shall we say, to be kind to, to his Forest career, he has actually been pretty good. He's not done a great deal wrong prior to getting a serious injury, yet he himself is another one that's not in the in the, in the 25-man squad at the minute and he's just being paid for, for training every week. And there's too many of those at the club. There's, there's four or five players who train Monday to Friday and know that they're not going to be involved in the game on the Saturday. And, and that's what Forest need to change. That's where they've shot themselves in the foot because I'd hate to work out how much money they're paying in wages for players who aren't playing. And adding more to the mix in January would, would be madness unless they can move a few out. And that has to be the priority. Get rid of a few of these fringe players before you even think about bringing in more in. Otherwise, you're just going to be expanding on the problems you've already caused yourselves. 
We might see some of those fringe players at the weekend. Forest kick off their FA Cup campaign, welcoming Cardiff to the city ground in the third round. We'll look ahead to that next. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. FA Cup third round weekend always warms the cockles of football supporters, unless of course you support Forest, who have got a pretty diet recent record in the competition. Last 10 seasons, the Reds have only gone beyond the third round stage four times, lost at Chelsea Last season, Chelsea reserves against Forest reserves, just as they <laughs> did the season before that. Uh, there have been some some good moments in in recent times. I'm, I'm thinking Arsenal in 2018, West Ham in 2014 were pretty good. But Paul, I'm guessing you were you were at Rochdale, were you in 14, 15 for that, that <laughs> Nadir? Yes, I was. I'm afraid. Uh, I remember one at Chester before that as well that was equally oh. bad. Uh, th- yes, the FA Cup has not been a kind mistress to to Nottingham Forest in recent years, has it? Um, I'm not sure what the where it lies in the priority of things this season either. Uh, the, the the feeling is is that Chris Hewton might make a few changes this weekend, and you could kind of understand if he does, given the, the the very physical and mentally draining demands of the of the season so far. The run of games has been incredible, and you, you could very much understand if he gave a, a few key players a rest this weekend in a competition that ultimately doesn't doesn't really mean a great deal uh, if we to be entirely blunt the best case scenario is probably that Forest name a, a bit of a change side give a few younger players a chance they get through to the next round get a nice big tie against somebody you know decent from the Premier League and 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 then see if their journey ends there uh realistically they're not going to trouble anybody in this in this competition and, and and the priority has to be to to get themselves away from trouble in the championship nothing else matters more than just avoiding any threat whatsoever of of dropping into league one again because we've, we've been there we've done it and we we know that it's uh it's not the exciting journey of going to new grounds and having a new adventure or a sabbatical in league one that that, that many people might believe it to be it isn't pressing the reset button it will be an absolute disaster uh, and I've gone off on a massive tangent there, but still, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, the the FA Cup's not on the high high on the list of priorities. So yeah, let's let's hope for a good performance from a change side and and not much more. <laughs> well, what what I've written here, Nick, is because this applies. What Paul said uh, applies totally to Cardiff as well. I think I, I've written two teams nowhere near where they want to be in the league. Who does this game mean less to? Um, also, what's the incentive for victory? You know, Paul's mentioned, oh, you get a big tie in the fourth round if you go through, if, you, if you're away at Old Trafford or, or Anfield or whatever. No one's going to be there to see it. It's not a big revenue generator. I don't really see why Chris Hewton should be thinking about anything other than resting players for this game. Yeah, uh, I, I agree completely. In fact, I, I'm not entirely sure what the... 
what the point of the FA Cup really is this season, apart from you know it will be a a revenue generator to a point for some some of the kind of very small clubs that will land a plum tie. Like you know, they they will get money from TV, but they won't get the usual. I mean, as you said, they won't get the usual money from crowd or uh, or anything like that. And at the moment, the FA Cup just seems like something that's going to get in the way of um, the fixture sort of pile up the catastrophe that's kind of looming when with all these games being postponed we obviously know about loads of them in the EFL um, uh, we and that they're starting to come in the Premier League as well in a season that is already ludicrously cramped and packed together the FA Cup uh, rounds, particularly the third round and the fourth round, when there's when um, for all our, all the all of the football basically stops for it, is just kind of kind of get in the way. I mean, I I realise that it's unrealistic for this to ever happen, but I wouldn't have bothered with the tournament at all this season, and and not just for you know my historic indifference to the competition because Forest have been broadly rubbish in it. Um, so yeah, I, I I just can't get excited about about the weekend at all. Like Paul said, if if a few um, fringe players can come in and um, get a bit get a bit of a run out, and maybe maybe a few kids can come in and uh, have a decent game, then then great. That's that that would be wonderful, and it certainly it would certainly be more constructive than um, uh, playing some of the kids against Cardiff than it, w- it was playing the kids against Chelsea last season. So. Um, yeah, other than that, I, I don't think I'll be even paying much attention to the game this weekend. It's really sad, isn't it? Because, you know, I loved the FA Cup, I don't know, in the 80s and the Gerrard final and that kind of stuff. But it's been it's been lessening in importance for years and years and years. Paul, do you think there was ever any serious conversation about not playing it this season? Because it, it could have come back with renewed interest next year, whereas now it seems like an inconvenience, which is a, a dreadful yeah. thing to say, really. I'm not sure if that conversation was had or not, to be honest, but without banging on about the same thing all the time, the, the, the romance of this competition in particular is just lost by not having the fans there, isn't it? I mean, even even armed with the knowledge that they were probably going to watch a, a young Forest side when they went to uh, Chelsea, for example, you know, the fans still went getting excited about going to Stamford Bridge and, and, and going to a Premier League ground and just getting a taste of what they hoped to be a part of on a more regular basis if they could get into the Premier League. Even even Arsenal in a different cup competition, you know, they, they went there, you know, going to a new ground and having some excitement about just travelling and going somewhere new and tasting the glamorous surrounds of the Premier League, if you like. With, without the fans there, it's just not the same. It's not the same watching it on an empty an empty stadium in front of, you know, on the television, is it? it, it so much of the romance of the cup is just lost by the fact that the fans aren't there, probably more so than than the league, I think. Um, you know, it, it is one of those things that provides an adventure. Even if you did get to, you know, go to Rochdale or, or Chester or something like that, it, it's somewhere new for fans to go and a, a bit of an adventure, but... Uh, doesn't always turn out on have a happy ending have a happy ending but it's 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 all part of the romance of the competition and that's just not there this season is it it's, it's probably been impacted more than any other any other tournament in, in in football by by the situation yeah definitely no replays in the FA Cup this season either so we'll know for sure by next week's show whether or not the Reds made it through to round four and they're actually doing <laughs> the, the draws for the next two rounds at the same time on Monday as well which tells you what you need to know about football this season alright we're nearly at the end of today's show but there's still time for did they really play for Forest? 
It's everyone except Paul's favourite podcast feature. <laughs> uh, if you're new to the show, this is where Nick plays the role of Quizmaster. Think of him as our Bradley Walsh. Uh, he gives Paul and I a, a series of fiendishly difficult clues from which we try and decipher which Long Forgotten Forest player he's talking about. Over to you, Nick. Yeah, so uh, again, for, for new listeners, this is a, a player that um, did play for Forest, but you probably have forgotten played for Forest. Um, I'm, I've got five pieces of information about this player. I think in kind of um, ascending order of uh, of, uh, of, sort of sort of simplicity. So the first one will be very impressive. You get it, um, but by the fifth one, I would judge you um, very harshly <laughs> if you don't get it. So, uh, okay, first clue. My first professional club was Excelsior, and my last professional club was T Team, who, as you'll already know. Playing the Malaysian Premier League, are nicknamed the Turtles, and between 2018 and 2019 were sponsored by Chicken Cottage. <laughs> Does the T in T Team stand for Turtle then? Like they uh, are the turtle I haven't teams. looked that up, so I'm going to say yes. Okay. <laughs> um, Paul, you can go first. Uh, Boateng. Oh my god. <laughs> This is incredible. That's it. That's true. That's correct. Ah, <laughs> hey! oh, this is that's that's remarkable. This is I suspect this is foul the, play. Well, I'm, look, I am pure, of purer heart than you, Matt. Clearly, so I, I, I think that this is just this is just the player who hasn't scored all season, thrashing one in from 35 yards. If it helps, I can't remember his Christian name, so I've only got only get half a point. <laughs> uh, well, it wasn't. It's not Jerome Boateng. It is George Boateng. Um, wow! Well, I mean, all, all my glorious research gone to waste now. The, the, the other, for the for the record, the other clues were the managers I played under. Uh, managers I played under include Johnny Method, who he played under at Feyenoord, and Steve McLaren, which uh, was slightly cheating because it was at, both at Forest and Middlesbrough. Um, I was born in Ghana, but made five appearances for the Netherlands. Currently, a youth coach at Aston Villa, and my other English clubs were Coventry, Aston Villa, Middlesbrough, and Hull City. I feel like repeating Steve Cottrell's lament after, uh, after Leeds. <laughs> uh, Paul, that is sensational. What a start to the year. It's clear what you've been doing over your, over your little bit of time off over Christmas. Just, just looking up random facts about disappointing Forest players. He only, he only, apparently he only played five games for Forest. He scored one goal in a game that I have absolutely no memory of. But uh, having looked it up, it was a game against Leicester in 2011. Uh, Forest were losing 2-0 until about the 80, 80th minute. Lewis McGugan then scored a penalty. Casper Spiegel did the classic goalkeeper thing, grabbing the ball out of the net so that the Forest players couldn't grab it to run it back to the, the centre circle. But instead of just holding on to it, he threw it into the stands. He'd already been booked, so he got another yellow card and was sent off for throwing the ball into the stands. <laughs> and then um, you know, a few minutes later, uh, George Boateng popped up from a corner and equalised in injury time. Um, yeah, and, and Sven-Joran Eriksson was Leicester manager that day as well. Uh, I've absolutely no memory of that game. I'm, I'm Paul, I assume you were there, but I, I, I don't, I, I have, I, you know, I don't remember that at all. I remember he, drove, he used to drive a massive Bentley, which even in the <laughs> fo- in the forest car park that that stood out. I mean, there were some flash cars there. Robbie Earnshaw had some absolute epic cars, uh, but but yeah, Boateng's Bentley was probably the the funniest one. Him and Greening side at the same time or at a similar time, and Greening turned up in a mini. So yeah, there was a contrast there somewhere along the along the line. Greening, of course, who was the answer a couple of weeks ago, wasn't he? So I'm going to just keep researching that Steve McLaren squad, I think. <laughs> there, well, there, that was is... some, there were a few candidates during the McLaren era, to be fair, yeah, weren't Yeah, there were, yeah, plenty of them. Um, what an incredible way to finish. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely stunned. Um, Paul, before we go, tell, uh, tell Forest supporters who subscribe to The Athletic what they can read from you on the site just now. 
Uh, we, a piece has just gone live today looking at, at exactly what we've spoken about earlier, the revival of uh, players like Yates and Figueredo and uh, how they've all formed this kind of foundation and, and stage on which Forest have, have built their recent revival. You know, they, they all went through bad spells at various points of the season, you know, from Bryce Samba right through to to Ryan Yates for different reasons. And, and they seem to have, have, have turned it round for themselves individually and as a team in, in recent times. And uh, hopefully they can do it at the other end of the pitch as well now and, and Forrest can start looking up the table a little bit more. Fingers crossed. Um, Nick, you've been profiling some of the EFL's bright young things, meanwhile. Yeah, I've um, written a series of profiles of um, players in the Football League that could get a transfer perhaps to the Premier League so I've spoken obviously spoken to you know people who have um, worked with them in the past and who work with them now uh, I've written about uh, Reading's Michael Alise uh, QPR's Bright Assay Sam, uh, Samuel um, Chelton's Alfie Doughty who's uh, incredibly promising talent from what I've seen of him incredibly incredibly quick sort of left winger left back um, Adam Armstrong, uh, the, the Blackburn striker, obviously, and I can't remember who the fifth one is, but they're all very good. So uh, Rico Henry, Rico Henry, there you go. Thank you. Yes, uh, I, I don't know why I've forgot Rico Henry because he's probably one of the sort of better players in the division at the moment. Certainly the best left back, I think. So, um, so yeah, all available on the Athletic um, to kind of full of information that you can pass off as your own. Uh, and listen you can sign up to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for the first six months and enjoy unrivaled coverage of your club in 2021 as well as ad-free podcasts via the app just go to theathletic.com slash forest pod that is theathletic.com slash forest pod do join us again next week until then from Paul, Nick, myself and producer Adonis it's bye for now